on the dunes now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is the inobtrusive Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, and I will start right off the top of the uh, top of the show. It is great to have you back. Aww. You would not great. believe how many times it took me to do the intro for the Power Record show. Yes, Chris. I, I, <gasps> I, I set the record for number of flubbed intros. <laughs> it seems so easy. It does. When, it does. But when you sit down to actually do it, it's like, hello, how are you? It got even worse because earlier in the week, um, I finally – some people have seen on Facebook. I got a promotion at my job and yeah, uh, thank you. And so uh, previously, I did not have a phone because I just – I didn't need one. But with this new position, uh, I need a phone. And I had to record my, you know, inner office voicemail message. <laughs> I swear to God, it took me 20 takes to get it. <laughs> it was ridiculous. I actually had to shut the door to my office because I was so embarrassed at how many times I had to keep saying it. So it's a, I, I will no longer make fun of you for not getting this at one take because it is harder than it looks. And it got it one take tonight. You did? you did? Now, I will tell you that don't feel bad. That whole recording your voicemail thing, that happens to everybody. Yeah. Like, oh, good uh, Lord. I, I, I swear I recorded like 20 times. It's yeah. such a pain in the butt. I had to do it last night because I had to take the kids to the dentist this morning, and I must have recorded it four different times. It's just like, why, why is this hard to say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know every word. I forgot my own title at work. I was like, ah, right, this is Rob <laughs> Kelly. I'm the huh? – what am I? <laughs> to like get the, get the business card out and look at it. Ridiculous. I'm, this is Rob Kelly. Macho man Rob Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's just jump right in here. We're going to start off with um, well, we're, we have a but we should say we have a smattering of topics we're going to cover today, folks. Yes. Um, we're going to talk about the Aquaman Annual that just came out. Aquaman Annual Number One. That's yeah, a big deal. First, the new first annual in fifteen years. Wow. All right. Um, then we're going to cover a sad topic, but I think um, we're going to try and make it as positive as possible. The passing of uh, Nick Carty, one of the greatest Aquaman artists of all time. Yep. 
And then we're going to talk a little about DC's offices moving. But first, before we do that, we are going to cover uh, – we're going to thank our, our sponsors for sponsoring the Fire and Water Podcast. And that thanks goes out to InStock Trades. InStock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to – check it – 45% off with free shipping of orders of $50 or more. Rob, why don't you uh, tell us what book you've got? Well, uh, pretty obvious this week. I'm going to go with Nick Carty, Behind the Art Hardcover. Uh, this is pretty much what it sounds like. It's a retrospective on the man's career. Mostly covers his comic book work, but it also talks about his film work. His anim- some, I think he did some animation stuff, but he did a lot of film posters and stuff like that. It's a great book. I've had it for many years. Uh, it's it's really, really a very beautiful retrospective on the man's work. It's 128 pages. Uh, it's written by Mr. Carty himself and Eric Nolan Worthington. Uh, the normal price is thirty four ninety five because it's a hardcover, but InStock Trades is selling it for twenty dollars and ninety seven cents. That's forty percent off. It is just jam packed, cover to cover, with beautiful, beautiful Nick Hardy artwork. Totally worth it if you're a fan of comic book art and Nick Hardy especially. So it's totally, completely worth uh, your time. I, I've I've actually seen that book flip through it. It's absolutely gorgeous. And um, I would say, folks, keep in mind that that's available in Stock Trades right now at the time of this recording. With Mr. Cardi's passing, who knows? You know, it, there may be a bit of a run on the book. So if you want it, order it sooner versus later. Um, I was going to mention along the, the same lines uh, a couple of books that Mr. Cardi was involved with. He used to draw Teen Titans quite consistently. Yes, he did. And so I was going to mention two showcase presents: Teen Titans Volume One and Teen Titans Volume Two. Um, each one's five. Uh, well, I'm sorry. The first volume is 528 pages, uh, black and white. That's unbelievable the size of that. But you, it's got you know the original Brave and the Bold stories. It's got the first 18 issues of Teen Titans. And this is Robin and Wonder Girl and Kid Flash and Aqualad as they get together for the first time. It's got you know written by Bob Haney, so you know there's some wackiness in there. <laughs> um, it says Marv Wolfman, but I mm, I don't yeah, know, him, know about him, that. Him and Len Wein did it early on. Briefly How the, funny. Yep. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So obviously a lot of art by Nick Cardi. You've got other artists in there. you got, you know, Herb Novak, Lee Elias, uh, Jack Abel, a bunch of folks. Anyway, uh, that one, um, actually both volumes go for sixteen ninety nine normally retail. Each one's 45% off. You can get it for $9.34 each. Uh, volume 2, by the way, covers up through issue 36 of the, the new Teen Titans and Sky, you know, the Justice League, Superman, Batman. You know, written not only Bob Painty stories, but Steve Skate's stories uh you've got some neil adams artwork in addition to nick cardi both have nick cardi covers i mean come on that's like what 19 bucks for a thousand pages of teen titans and a lot of it by nick cardi and you get to see him black and white so you really get a chance to really study the art it's well worth it folks check it out so thanks to our uh, sponsors again in stock trades you can find all that at instocktrades.com uh, your best online source for trades hardcovers and other collected editions all for up to 45 percent off with free shipping for orders of 50 dollars or more Great stuff. Thank you. So, here we go, man. First Aquaman annual and really, Has it really been 15 years? Last one was 1999. Which one was that? JLA Ape? <laughs> oh, God. No, no. He got his own. Uh, it was Aquaman annual number five, I think. It was the, the, you know, the Peter David book. Those, those right, got annuals. Right. So, yeah. It's been well, one of those years was the, the Ape one, I'm sure. Well, so, anyway. no, they, they didn't. That was JLA Ape. They didn't. Aquaman didn't have his own annual for that storyline. Oh well, you know what? He should be thankful for it. Never mind. Yeah, anyway, just, moving on. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, Aquaman annual, the first one in 15 years. Uh, the story is called A Choice of Evils, written by John Ostrander, who of course, of course, wrote the uh, others fill-in issue behind from Aquaman number 20. Uh, the art is by. <laughs> uh, this is a long list. Geraldo Borges, 
Netho Diaz, Roy Jose, Alan Martinez, J.P. Mayer, Maria Benes, Eau Claire Albert, Julio, Julio Ferreira, Jay Leistein, uh, the San Francisco Giants, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Carol Burnett, Carol Burnett <laughs> Cesar Romero, uh, and, uh, the, uh, and Tim Conway. No, and the colorists are Rod Reese and Hi-Fi, which is uh, our sort of unofficial Firestorm Aquaman crossover, right? Because Hi-Fi did Firestorm. I guess it is, yeah. Hi-Fi did the Aquaman, uh, I'm sorry, did the Firestorm artwork. um, Brian Miller primarily did that. And, of course, Rod Reese did the Aquaman stuff. So there you go. There's a a big crossover for us. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, The story opens up, there's a nice splash page of Aquaman fighting a bunch of trench-looking sea beasties. But then we go over to the small island, which is the uh, little headquarters here of, well, not the headquarters, but it's a little hideaway for the operative and he's got his plane there, and his uh, grandson Aaron is talking to Sky, which is the newest member of the sort of, uh, well, unofficial newest member of the others. And they are sort of starting off a little budding romance between the two of them. The operative doesn't like that very much, but their argument is interrupted when a bunch of nasty sea creatures jump out of the water. They get attacked. Luckily, Aquaman is right behind. He gets involved in the battle. Uh, Aaron gets zapped by one of the bad guys. He looks like he gets electrocuted. Uh, which, of course, uh, everybody's very concerned about. A bunch of flying monkeys come in. <laughs> <laughs> literally, with wings. <laughs> yeah, literally, flying monkeys, yeah. They come in to the operative's jet, and they steal the helmet, Vostok's helmet, which is in there. They take off. Um, Sky uses her powers, which, for those of you who don't remember, is sort of communing with the these various shaman spirits of her ancestors. They, uh, they uh, I, I thought she was just a really good computer hacker when she was working with S.H.I.E.L.D., Okay. Uh, so, anyway, her one of the one of her ancestors says, "Well, we will be able to heal Aaron if you bring him here." They takes his body into there, um, into this little sort of ghost world kind of thing. Um, they also are warned that there is some sort of sorceress that's going to attack. The sorceress does in fact attack uh, Aquaman and Sky, and the operative shoot back out into our reality. They decide, well, we got to get the we got to get the band back together, which of course involves grabbing uh, Yawara. We see the little brief interlude with her, and then there's, there's, yes, and there's another. Then there's a little brief interlude with uh, Prisoner of War, your favorite. It was nice that he could step away from his own monthly book to come over and be in this thing. Yeah, it was very nice of him to do that. Uh, <laughs> so they all get together. They talk about that this uh, this woman is going to attack using the operative's computers. They find out that she's in Tokyo. They transport over to Tokyo. She is, we find this woman, uh, I forget what her name is, um, Zan, Aquaman thinks Ma- for, hmm? Madam Zan. Madam Zan. Madam Zan, like Aqu- Madam Zan. Right, well, Aquaman says that. He says it sounds like it's Madam Zan to do, but of course it isn't. She thinks she's going to use Vostok's helmet to give her uh, eternal life, turn her into a goddess. She slams it on her head, causes some sort of immense pain, and obviously doesn't quite you know, fit her too terribly well in, in a uh, metaphorical sense. She throws it off, doesn't know what to do with it. Aquaman and the guys, Aquaman and his team appear, and then the sorceress Zan uh, transports them all into different places all around, them, presumably the Earth, and she interacts with all of them in their own, f- in different forms. Um, and Zan tries to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? She tries to, like, seduce the operative. Talks coerce. To, to, she tries yeah, to coerce. Good, yeah. She appears as Yawara's, um, I think her mother, her forest mother, and tries to um, she it, she tries that. to one by one uh, coerce the 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 others to work with her by appealing to something they're interested there in. And go. each one, 
each one of them figures out that she's not the real deal, but that she offers them something they truly want. And so like, it'd be worth working with her simply because they'd get what they want. Right. She appears to Aquaman in the form of Mira, but Aquaman isn't fooled by that. For one second. I love Mira's, he, the Mira pose is like a very slutty pose. <laughs> I sort of appreciate but that. But isn't that, oh, like, I didn't go back and check, but isn't that a reproduction of the Mira Peter David cover? Like I said, just slutty pose. Uh, oh, so, oh my god. <laughs> I don't like that cover. Uh, anyway, uh, she says the Aquaman, she tries to you know, appeal to his, uh, his sense of like, look at what the look what all the surface world has done to the oceans. They poisoned him. Why don't you join my side? Aquaman's like, no, I'm not doing that. So she says, fine. She decides to destroy Hong Kong. The team fights and disperses. They, um, Aquaman uh, what does he do? I forget what he does. I'm looking at it right here, and I still forget. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, I'm really on target tonight. I'm really on target. This, 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 I hate doing these summaries, and this one is a spe- an extra long book. So um, <laughs> anyway, Yuara, uh, for a brief moment, turns uh, on this, uh, to, uh, turns against the others. The take. I'm sorry. This is horrible. I'm trying to finish up. Uh, <laughs> Aquaman. Good guys win. Yeah, good guys win. Aquaman <laughs> attacks Zan. Aquaman goes after Zan. He uses his trident to overpower her. He seemingly kills her. Uh, Yuara realizes that she was co- fooled into turning on her own friends. She's so bothered by the fact by that fact that she quits the others, teleports, disappears. Aquaman returns and he learns what happened to Yuara. Like, oh boy, she quit the teams. Like, we're losing members left and right here. He says, uh, "Don't. She'll be back. Don't worry. We'll give her some time." Uh, then Sky and the Operative and the Prisoner of War all find Aaron in the spirit world where he is all healed, and that is where the story ends. Huh. Okay. Uh, I did like this story. Um, I, again, am sort of bothered by the fact that Aquaman is a side player in his own story. I mean, it really is more about Sky. Uh, but, of course, I realize that this book is meant to be, you know, the, the liftoff to the other series. Right. Which they're going to do. So, you know, I understand that. I just do I, – I just can't help feel, though, that, like, it's called Aquaman Annual. <laughs> like, and he's really not in it all that much. He doesn't get a whole much, that much to do. So it's like – All right. I'm taking a task on this right. because, you know, for the last, whatever, 24 months or something or a little less than that, since the others started appearing – You've been preaching the word of getting in others' ongoing series, yeah. You know, and and now, this you know, this is your best hope to make that happen, and you're fussing about it still. I guess. I mean, yeah. Come on. I guess. I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's Aquaman's book, but we all want in others. Well, okay, many of us want in others' <laughs> ongoing series, even a mini series, whatever. This this is it, man. This is the backdoor pilot. You know, this is, you know yeah, they did no, they did an issue. Truly, yeah. It seemed to go okay. They're doing an annual. If they get enough bites out of this, let's go for it. And personally, me, I loved seeing the subplots that he started uh, a couple issues to go with Sky and Aaron, and I like seeing those subplots start to pay off here. And I, I'm actually really interested in the character of Sky, even if she does have the same name as the girl from Agents of Shield. Um, I I think this is really cool. I'm into the characters. I want to see more of them. Yeah, I, like I do Yawara, too. Yeah, yeah. Yawara, but you can talk in a minute. Yawara betrayed the team and everything, and now she, you know, she's trying to figure out if she can come back, make her way back to the team, stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Right, yeah, go ahead no, and do I, your I, little talkie talk. No, I, I I see what you're saying. I do, I do. I, I just said I I. 
I just feel like I have not gotten a whole lot of Aquaman in the last, like, six months or so. I know that's not exactly right, but it just feels like it, like, between Villains Month and I don't know. I, I just, I, I, okay, if they do Aquaman Annual Number 2, where it's just him and Mira having adventures, then all of this will be, in retrospect, I will forgive all this. <laughs> okay. And I would like to see, I guess I think about, like, Batman, back when Mike W. Barr did Batman and the Outsiders, Right. The, mm-hmm. the book, by its nature, was focused on the outsiders because they were the characters that were exclusive to that book. But it never felt like – it always felt like Batman got a, got a lot to do as well. And I feel like that balance just is not as well struck here. It's just that it's Aquaman. It's just sort of a peripheral player to this story. But again, I understand what you're saying. It is meant to be as a pilot. It is a backdoor pilot for the other series. And yeah, I definitely do want another series. I like the character of Sky. Uh, I mean, just, they need to beef up the team, for God's sakes, the, the rate they were getting rid of them. Um, so, you know. <laughs> so, but, you know. So let's think about the original team. The original team was the operative, uh, Man of War, Man of War? Wait, oh, Prisoner gosh. of War. Prisoner of War. I forgot the number one character's name. Okay, yeah, Aquaman, Vos- Prisoner of War, yeah, operative. Yuara, Vostok. who's dead. Yuara, who's sort of betrayed the team. And the Kashina, or Yashina, whatever that one character's name. Okay, so they're they're actually pretty whole. They just don't, they've lost Vostok. I mean, we all know Yuara will be back. Yeah, and they've, and, repla- they've replaced Vashina or whatever her right. name was. Well, all right, but I'm just saying they only had five members and they killed two of them off. Like, that's, that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for final a line. Time? I mean, geez. I'm looking for a line here. And I can't find it. Maybe it's not in this. Wasn't there a line where they're talking about Aquaman's trident? And he's saying, like, you know, well, you know, what does your trident do? And he goes, like, it does enough or it does the job or something like that. Was that not in this? Uh, I think it was in the – you know, I don't remember now. I have to look. <laughs> I don't remember. All right. I guess, I guess I sort of imagined it. Okay. No, no, anyway. no. He died. It, it is in this. It is in this. So. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah. Because I liked that line. I should have wrote it down. Oh, well. Um, I liked the scenes where. Oh, by the way, we didn't. Re- did you mention who the bad guy actually was? She revealed to be. No, I guess I didn't. Morgan Le Fay. She is, in fact, the sister of um, uh, of Madame Xanadu. So she was. She took the identity of Madame Xanadu to sort of piss off her sister, which is kind of interesting. So, and it was. Um, now, correct me if I. I'm wrong. She looks the same as she did before the new Fifty Two, doesn't she? Madame Xanadu. No, or Morgan Le Fay. Morgan Le Fay. Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, I think so. Because I saw something like when I first saw her, when she first revealed herself as Morgan Le Fay, I'm like, wasn't she in Alpha Flight, looking like this? But I think that was somebody else. That was a gilded lady chick. But um, I saw something the other day with Morgan Le Fay, and she looked just like that. So. Anyway, uh, there's one thing that I can't forgive this story for, and I don't have page numbers here, obviously, because they don't do that anymore. It's not hip to have page numbers, but Aquaman is fighting Morgan Le Fay. She blasts him with energy. It hits his trident. And he just and then, shoots it back at her. And, she's, and his story's over. Yeah. Just done. It's like in one page of, you know, what is that called? Um, da... da uh, I, I tried to say, thank you. I tried to say this a while ago, and everyone wrote in saying I was an idiot. I couldn't come with it. And it's sort of what it is. It's just like, it just bam. It just sort of happens. You know, his trident becomes omnipotent all of a sudden, yeah. and it's over. Yeah. Like, what, are, 
Where did that come from? None of that was led up to. Yeah, I'm not big uh-huh. on I'm not big on magic stories because you can just do whatever you need to do. You know, people just like I uh, we rented the, the one of the Harry Potter movies for my nephew a couple of months ago, and like the whole final scene is just people just poking wands at one another, <laughs> um, and I'm like, okay, like okay, I guess the villain is dead now because the other guy poked his wand harder than the other one. Like okay, <laughs> like there's no there's no rule for you to follow. It's just, <laughs> it's just people going, and you're like, oh, movie's over. Okay, so yeah, yeah, Zan was dealt with uh, fairly easily with Aquaman's trident. Yeah, I mean, just kind of like, boom, all of them. I was like, oh, what? I had to, like, flip back a couple of times. I'm like, what happened? Okay, what? Yeah. So, but that's the only real failing I have in it. Otherwise, I like the story. I like the development. I liked that she was manipulating them. I liked uh, the characterization. I I felt like, rather than Aquaman being sidelined, I just felt like he was one member of a team. Yeah, yeah. So, I felt like he was part of the team, not sidelined, because he, he did stuff. I mean, heck, he saved the day. Um, so, I, I, again, I feel like he was still integral to the story. He just wasn't the lead, if you will. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the dynamic is, as much as I just compared it to him, it's definitely not going to be Batman and the Outsiders, where Batman was leading this charge of young heroes. This is, a, even though Aquaman is still kind of ordering them around, it, it's not exactly the same. It's a little more equal relationship as opposed to Batman, who was just barking at them and telling everybody what to do. This isn't right. too much the case here. So, yeah, I, I am very excited about that there's going to be a, an Aquaman spin-off book. I think it's going to be great. Even if he's not in it that much, it'll still be nice that there will have been an Aquaman spin-off book. It'll be like the first time that's ever happened in ongoing form. Uh, I was going to say, there was a, there was a Tempest there miniseries. There was a Tempest miniseries, right, but that's – I'm talking about an ongoing book. Um, but yeah, and the artwork was nice. It was a little – it was inconsistent just because you had so many different people doing it. Yeah. Um, some of it was nice at a, some parts of it were nice at others. The coloring, of course, is gorgeous. I mean, both, you know, we, everyone knows how much I love, I lo- know I love Rod's stuff. And Hi-Fi does great work as well. So Every, it looks everyone very, knows I love, everyone knows I love Hi-Fi stuff. So right. it's perfect. Yeah. It looks really beautiful. I mean, it's a very nice, and the cover, uh, is by Paul Pelletier, which is, uh, and, uh, Sean Parsons, which is, and colored by Rod Reese, which is really nice. It's a really, very effective cover. So. So yeah, yep. you know, I, am. I, I, I maybe maybe sound more negative on it than I meant to be. It, it was fun, uh, and I hope it does lead to another series. I really do. It's kind of what I want in an annual. I want an annual to be a large scale story with a lot of moving parts and a lot of characters. I want to see. I want to see a lot of characters in an annual. I don't. I want to see just one character doing something. I like having a lot of characters. So I this you know. When I step back from this one, not everything I wanted. It had some water fights. It had some land fights. had some, you know, mental manipulation kind of, you know, coercion. It had, uh, you know, a lot of good bits. You know, I forgot By the, the way, that, 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 that Maripose was a lift uh, from uh, the cover of, well, it was more like an homage to Aquaman number 12, mm-hmm. covered by Marty England, uh, or Egl- Egland, and, um, which was, which was kind of cool. And I found that line about Aquaman's Trident, which I guess really is the only foreshadowing to how the story is resolved. Um, Sky, you know, uh, of Agents of Atlas, says, um, and, uh, not Atlas, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., she says, Aquaman's Trident does, I'm not sure, what does your Trident do, sir? And he says, what I need it to, or what I need. That's all he says, what I need. So apparently that's the foreshadowing to explain why the Trident wins the day. You know, I realized I forgot to mention the thing I liked most about this annual was that it's, the story is complete in and of itself. One and done. It's one and done. It's not, it's not part of a multi-arc you know, like, oh, continued in Batman Annual Number One. You got to buy that too. Like, no, it's just 
it's, it's a complete story, which I do yep. appreciate. We don't get enough of that anymore. So that was really good. I forgot that was the thing I liked the most when I talked about it on the Shrine last week. So, You know, one quick thing about magic. Like, I, two of my favorite characters in DC Comics are Dr. Fate and Spectre. I love the characters. I love some of the adventures they get caught up in. But usually the resolution of a story is sort of like you described it. You know, it's like, you well, nine times out of ten it comes down to love because love equals magic. And apparently <laughs> in magic, nothing beats love. It just they, it always wins. It's ridiculous. But uh, in this one, like, there's some cool magic going on where Sky, I don't, I don't remember her superhero name, but she takes them to the... The, the Indian mystic lands or whatever it's called where they're all there and they leave Aaron to heal and you see the Native American sort of god who's there who helps Aaron it's like that's a, that reminds me a little bit of the old John Byrne Alpha Flight stuff mm-hmm. when he would do like the great beasts and stuff like that mm-hmm. it's just really cool I really got on board with that I was like I like that you know that's that's a neat magical element to the story and yet doesn't take away from how they win like mm-hmm. I, I, I like magic up into the point when, like you said, magic's just where they win. They do a better spell than the other guys. Yeah, <laughs> they move that, their hand yeah. harder and faster than the other guys. A spell you had no idea that they would cast, and they didn't think of until three seconds before yeah. they did. And went, oh, I could do that! Ta-da! <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway. So yeah. So anyway, that's Aquaman Annual Number One. Uh, like I said, I hope it, I hope it sells well, and I'm, I'm glad to see there finally was one after 15 years. That's a, it's a nice thing. It was nice. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, well, the other thing, one of the other things we wanted to talk about was, of course, Nick Cardi, um, passed away on Sunday at the age of 93. Uh, you know, Jeez. yeah, I mean, it's a sad thing, obviously, but the man was 93. He lived an extraordinary life, one of a lot of great creative fulfillment. Uh, the man seemed to be able to exceed at whatever artistic endeavor he tried at. I mean, he left comics in the 80s apparently somewhat dissatisfied with how he was treated or how his work was used and he just seemed to jump right into movies you know the movie poster work and other kinds of illustration work and you know really didn't miss a beat so uh you know and he was revered certainly and he he lived long enough to go to comic cons and see how much he was beloved and and uh, that's always a nice thing the first time i ever met the man was at the san diego comic con uh he is the very first sketch in my aquaman sketchbook it was by nick carty and Mm -hmm. um he drew a headshot of Aquaman for me, and sitting next to him was Ramona Frayden. And, oh, yeah, they, yeah and, and so as soon as he finished the sketch, uh, I went and walked right over. I literally just took three steps to the side and went to Ramona and asked her for a sketch. And at the end of it, she, she did the drawing, and she said, um, I said, oh, how much is it? And she said, how much did Nick charge you? And I think I said, like, 30 bucks or something. And she goes, all right, I'm going to charge you five less than that. So <laughs> it was like a little dig at Nick. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I walked away from that convention with a Ramona Freight and Nicardi Originals. You can't beat that. Um, uh, from so, some of you might remember, we, I actually had a chance to interview the man, and we made it into an episode of the show. That's episode 13 of the Fire and Water podcast. You can go back to the blog, which is fireandwater.blogspot.com. Uh, you can go back and download that episode. Pull it off iTunes. Or you can pull it off iTunes, also on iTunes and on Stitcher, of course. Uh, I originally called him to get him a qu- to get a quote from him for the Aquaman 70th birthday celebration. And the idea was, you know, I knew he was like 92 when I called him, you know, and I didn't, I didn't want to take up too much of his time. So I called him 
And uh, he knew I was going to call. He had uh, – uh, Eric Nolan Worthington, actually, his friend and co-author of the book I mentioned, had set it up, had apparently talked to Nick and said, "This guy can, can this guy call you? And Nick said, sure. So he knew I was going to call at some point. So I did, and, and I really didn't want to take up too much of his time, and I just thought, let me just get a quote about Aquaman. Well, it didn't really work out that way <laughs> because <laughs> he, the man loved to tell stories, loved to tell stories. And I think what was supposed to be – a 10-minute interview turned into like a two-hour talk. <sighs> and, you know, I had him on speakerphone. And as he was telling these stories, um, uh, Darla Tracy was here, and she was she was overhearing all this. And she was just amazed at how great these stories were. This guy was such a raconteur. And she kept ma- giving me hand signals to stretch. Like, you know, keep him talking, you know, get him to keep talking. So every time he would say, I, uh, I'm not keeping you, am I? Like, no, 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 keep going. I just have one more story. And then he'd go on to like 12 more stories about being in the war. <laughs> so I think I ended up with like literally out of a two-hour phone call, one sentence about Aquaman, <laughs> which was fine. I boiled that down into the quote, and that was fine. I had to explain to him what the internet was. He was still like, wait, where is this thing going to be? Um <laughs> But he, he was, you guys, you, you got to go back and listen to that podcast. Yeah, uh, he was. Uh, what did you say, episode 13? thirteen? I mean, it's thirteen. So enjoyable. I mean, he is an absolute yeah. hoot. Yeah, he I is, mean, he's, he, telling, it, he's telling stories about about being, serving in Italy in World War Two, and then he's telling stories about getting into fights with DC editors and and going to the Natural History Museum to do research on fish so we can draw Aquaman accurately. Uh, he's just a just a really wonderful guy and and an amazing talent. I mean, just. He drew, you know, right after he passed away, a bunch of people ran retrospectives of his covers, you know, some of the great Nick Hardy covers, because he he designed and drew you know, 10,000 DC covers from the late 60s to the 70s. And like, you, you just made that number up, right? Yeah, the, I, no, I didn't. That's okay. really accurate. And uh, I mean, you could, I mean, he did the classic Aquaman number 42 cover, which is Black, Black Mana standing on the Aquaman logo, holding Aquaman's body over him. Or the logo's at the bottom of the cover, not at the top. Which, Amazing you know, in, for 1967, was completely unheard of. You never did that. But they did it. Uh, and part of them were they designed by Carmen Infantino. He deserves credit as well. But, uh, you know, and there were, you know, like 500 other covers that you could say are just as good as that one. I mean, it's amazing. He did some romance covers, comics that are gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. He did Teen Titans covers that were amazing. Uh, the guy was just a, a, an artistic genius. And, um, you know, a if huge... I can jump in for just. I'm sorry. Can I jump in for a minute? Yeah. Um, I just want to say, hey, you know, his his covers are what attracted me to his work first. Uh, in fact, that Aquaman 56, that's one of his covers, isn't it? Yes. The yes, de- it is. monster that monster devoured Detroit. Monster that devoured Detroit, yeah. Yeah, that's my, that's my. My, my jam right there, folks. Anyway, um, he I used, to, I used to manage a comic book store from 92 to 96, and I consistently was pushing Nick Cardi comics on people who were into the back issues. I'd say, guys, look, first of all, it's amazing artwork. You're going to fall in love with it. And at the time, I was convinced, and I kept telling everyone, that he was the next hot Silver Age artist who was going to get rediscovered. Because like, you know how Jim Aparo he kind of went through a, a bit of a renaissance in the eighties, yeah. you know, where everyone remembered him. He got to draw whatever he wanted. You know, he got to draw some, whether he was the right guy or not. It was like, Oh, come on. It's, it's Jim Avaro, you know? Um, and I really thought Nick Carty was going to be the next big thing to come back out of the silver age. And I told everyone he would, and he, by golly, he deserved it. He deserved a lot more attention 
than he got in the later years. He, his artwork should be just praised when, when, when people talk about Neil Adams and Jim Aparo and Gil Kane, Nick Cardi should be in the same breath. He just, he just should. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, you know, I don't know that he had anything in who's who. Now I think about it. No, he didn't. Jeez. He, I mean, that was, that he, that's when he was out. Yeah. He was out of comics yeah. at that point and he really didn't come back. His last cover, he actually did a cover for uh, DC spirit series. Mm, okay. uh, he did the cover, I think, for Spirit number twelve, and that is his latest comic book work. Is, is that okay. cover for the Spirit? So, I I did get to meet him one time at uh, I want to say it was MegaCon, probably, and just sat there and talked with him for probably ten or fifteen minutes, and just told him how much I loved his artwork and how much it meant to me coming up reading comics and everything. And he was just such a nice man. I don't have any great stories from it per se, but it, it just it was a great moment. I felt like I really connected with him, and uh, super super nice guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he he was he took over from Ramona Fraden for Ramona Fraden on Aquaman, and really gave that book a distinct. You know, a, he drew the first thirty nine issues of the Aquaman series, and um, I mean, just really g- gave that series a. Tri- I mean, Aquaman's benefited from some amazing artists. I mean, he in a row Aquaman had Ramona Fraden, Nick Cardi, and Jim Aparo drawing him, which is. That's a hell of a run to have those three yeah. guys all in a row. So uh, no dip in quality there at any point. So uh, he was very fortunate. Said he was a super talent. Uh, I am sorry. I meant to call him back and do a second interview. He said he would. He said he would be happy to. And I just could never screw up the courage to do it because I just was like, I don't want to bother. You know, I mean, he's, you know, right. the poor guy was in his 90s and enjoying his retirement in Florida, and I, was like, I didn't want to come and pester him. And now, of course, I'm sorry I didn't do that because. It would have been nice to talk to him one last time, but um, I did get a quote from him for the 17th anniversary because I had to. He's Nick Hardy, you know. He's part <laughs> of the thing. So, um, so you know, sort of just we could say, uh, you know, rest in peace, and uh, you know, go out there. Anybody that wants to go find his artwork, like go to you can go to um, Nick Hardy cover. Just type in Nick Hardy covers for Google, and you'll find the article that was on Comic Should Be. I think, I think it was on Comic Book Resources. And you'll see like forty covers put on a row by Brandon Cronin, and they're just they're just beautiful. And you can also do a search on Mike's Amazing World DC Comics for his covers mm. and see them all, and they're they're just startling. So, um, a, you know, super super talent. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to deviate real quick. Okay. I forgot to put this in the agenda, and I think we need to talk about it briefly. Briefly, you may not even know about it because it's actually a Marvel thing. Did you hear about? The announcement of um, Marvel and Netflix joining forces. I did. Yeah, this is crazy. I'm just going to talk about it real briefly. I haven't read a lot of details on it because the news just broke today as far as I can tell, uh, at least the time they're recording this. Disney has worked a deal with Netflix where they're going to do multiple original series of live-action adventures of four of Marvel's characters, sort of uh, uh, ground, grounded characters. They're going to do Daredevil, Jessica Jones, which is Alias, uh, Iron Fist and Luke Cage. So Daredevil will have, will have his series. Jessica Jones will have hers. Iron Fist will have his, and Luke Cage will have his. And then, and each one's supposed to go for thirteen episodes. Each one of these series will have thirteen of their own episodes, and then it will culminate with bringing them all together in a mini series called The Defenders. So I think this is a brilliant idea. I mean, it was a really clever thing the way they built up with Iron. Man and Captain America and Hulk and Thor and all that to build to the Avengers movie. I mean, no one had ever done anything like that in the history of films to take all these separate film franchises and bring them together into one film. I mean, certainly you've seen actors do that and whatnot, but not characters. 
And uh, we all knew it was going. It was orchestrated. It wasn't an accident, but I mean, it was done very well. And I kept thinking, how are they going to recreate this magic? You you can't just throw a bunch of characters up there and expect it to work again. So they're going to try it with TV through Netflix, which I think is a brilliant idea. So, and and the the grounded sort of characters too. So they won't require a lot of CGI type, you know, flying through the air kind of stuff. Yeah. They're a little more earthbound characters. I'm super excited for a power man series. I think that would have been awesome. That'll be awesome. (laughs) I'm a big, I'm sure I've told you this. I'm a big daredevil fan. Yes. I I read the daredevil book. uh, Jeez. Every month for something like, I don't know if I told the story, maybe I haven't, but like I thought about dropping Daredevil when when Bendis was writing it. I actually did for a little while, and it was like at the time I kind of looked around. I'm like, well, I guess I read. Yeah, I think I read Daredevil every month, and I realized I've been reading Daredevil monthly for 17 years at that point. And I'm like, really? I didn't know that. I didn't realize I'd been doing that. So. Anyway, it's one of those characters that's sort of like I follow, but it sneaks up on me. I forget about him. <laughs> so anyway, I'm, I'd be totally jazzed to see a Daredevil series. Hopefully it'll be better than The Trial of the Hulk. Uh, sorry, Michael <laughs> Bailey. But, and I am one of those people that will stand up for the Ben Affleck uh, Daredevil movie. There's a lot to be liked about that film. Okay. So. Uh, all right. Okay. Okay. Daredevil is an awesome character. No, I agree. I totally agree about the character. I don't agree about the movie, but I agree about the character. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. It's weird that they're calling them the Defenders when there's no yeah. connection to the Defenders of the comic. Well, um, no, there's no connection. Stop it! Don't even give. You're me right. None of them were the Defenders. <laughs> were they? Yeah, they're none. None of one of those characters was in the Defenders. So, oh, that is so funny. I didn't even pick up on it. Now, yeah. admittedly, the Defenders had a rotating roster. Right, the but year, so they... I'm sure some of them have been in the Defenders at some point, uh, but they, they're not, the. you're right, they're not like Silver Surfer, Doctor Strange, Hulk, Hulk uh, yeah, Namor. Namor, Nighthawk, yeah. Valkyrie, Hellcat, right. Gargoyle. Gargoyle, yeah. Yeah. Iceman, Beast. Yeah, no, yeah. so that, that's kind of interesting. But, you know, hey, Netflix, I mean, I've only seen one Netflix original series so far, which is uh, Orange is the New Black, and I thought that was superb, so it seems like from what I understand of Netflix, they're very hands-off. They're just like, make your show, which... Yeah, well, Arrested Development was like that. Yeah, that, well, that's right. I watched that. I forgot I watched Arrested Development as well. Yeah, uh, yeah they're, they're very hands-off. They're just, go make your show. We, you don't, we don't have to sell the, to advertisers. So just make your show. And I think that's a, that's a great model. <laughs> that's a, if it works for you financially, that's a great model. So, yeah. Meanwhile, DC's like, oh, we can't make Wonder Woman. Uh, <laughs> oh, geez, oh. But like you know, it's it's kind of interesting that the power behind this thing. When you sit here and you're like, "Yeah, Marvel and Netflix, cool." Eh, it's more than that. It's it's Marvel and Disney, yeah, and and ABC and Netflix. It's like, oh my gosh, yeah, they're just wow. gobbling up okay. the universe. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, it's true. I, I heard uh, actually. I think next month uh, we may be ready to announce that Disney's buying the Fire and Water podcast. But, you know. <laughs> Kind of the hush hush right now. Yeah, we, yeah, we don't want to. We don't want to scotch that deal just yet. It, right. I, we don't want to say too much. It involves us taking the summer slot occupied by Star Wars. That's all we're going to say. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it was Marvel related news, but it's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right, last big piece of news: DC Comics is shipping out. There, go west, young man. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, look, this this makes me sad for a number of reasons. Most, I mean, first of all, obviously, it seems like it is the final nail in the coffin for for DC Comics from turning from a comic book publisher to a multimedia, you know, property owner. Uh, it, it really does seem like they are finally just saying they've been doing it in steps. 
you know, like uh, changing their logo. You know, it sort of went from DC Comics to sort of DC Entertainment. Um, they, they, they got a new head of the, of the company, which is a woman that comes from the entertainment division, not comic books necessarily. So it felt like these were all steps. So now they're just going to move out to essentially to Hollywood and pull out of New York for the first time in 80 years. And, uh, that makes me sad because it just, it just, to me, it feels like that DC is, is just finally admitting, you know what? Comic books is just sort of like this little periphery thing that we do. Meanwhile, we really want to do movies like Green Lantern. Um, so <laughs> I was going to say, with all this effort, you think they could put out a good one? Yeah, yeah. Um, besides, besides Batman, besides Batman, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know. So, um, but on a more personal note, uh, it makes me sad because, look, growing up, I was always a DC kid more than a Marvel kid. I mean, I was a comics kid more than anything else, of course. But I was really more of a DC kid, and ultimate to me, it seemed like the ultimate cool job would be to work at DC Comics as a kid. You know. It took me to become an adult, haha, to realize, you know, like anything, it's a job. You know, no matter what, no matter how much fun you're having uh, with the subject matter, it's still going to be a job. So, uh, you know, it's not all just like, oh, man, I get to work at a place where they make comic books. That said, that thrill of visiting the D.C. offices, I've had a chance to do it a number of times, never went away, even as a, again, quote unquote, adult. The thrill of that never went away. And I had two experiences at the D.C. offices that I don't think I've ever shared with anybody. And I figured now is the perfect time to do it. Did you have sex in the D.C. office? Uh, <laughs> all right. I had three experiences at the D.C. office. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody else I hopefully knew about that other experience. <laughs> it was in front of that big mural they had of all the characters. It was wonderful. Um, oh! No, no, no. Uh, in uh, 1993 or so, I had just gotten out of the Kubert School and I had been dabbling in this sort of collage illustration style. It was a mixed media thing. It was collage elements, paint, pretty much anything I could put down on a board. Um, I mixed into these one pieces, into these pieces, and I, I did stuff like that in the third year of Cubert. And then I managed to get some work uh, with that style for newspapers and a couple of magazine jobs. So I, that that was sort of like my artistic style. And I had done a series of pages uh, illustrating a song. For a Cuber assignment, and I did it. I had done it in comic book form with panels, and everyone really liked it. And I got a good grade on it from the teacher, and I was really proud of it. And it, was, it seemed like something I'd want to pursue. So one day, I got them. I forgot even how I did it, but I got these pages in front of an editor at Vertigo, mm. which was the editor's name. I guess it doesn't matter now. The editor's name is Lou Stathis. Um and uh, I, he was kind enough to let me come up to his office. And I went up to his office and I showed him what I had done. And he really liked this. He really liked what he saw. Because I had, had some other samples and I had some other pages of some illustrated stuff. And he really liked what he saw. So I'm sitting there in his office. And he said to me, uh, he's looked at the pages and he realized these were songs that I had taken. One of them was a Bob Dylan song that I had taken illustrated. And he said, this is really neat stuff. And he says, would you ever consider writing a story to go with your artwork? And I said, well, you know, what do you mean? He says, well, he says, I really like this. And he says, this is the kind of stuff we would like to do. And he says, if you would ever want to write a story that you would then illustrate in this style, I think we'd like to like publish that. Mm. And now imagine hearing that. You know, oh my gosh! And now I may be, you know, remembering it a little. He might not have been quite so clear 
I, I may, you know, my memory might be a little faulty. I'm like, you know, having a more rosy memory of it than it really happened. But it was pretty close. I mean, it's pretty close to him saying, you know, so he, so we left the meeting with him basically saying to me, come up with a story that you want to tell and pitch it to me. Mm-hmm. Which was like, wow, you know, and I even remember being in the Port Authority and I called a friend because I wanted somebody to know that I had gotten this offer in case I got hit by a bus. <laughs> you know, I wanted somebody around to say this really did happen to me. And I then, of course, went home. I sat and I wrote this story. I, I came up with this uh, story that would uh, – I think it even used one of the old DC characters that I pulled out of Who's Who. Um, awesome. And I wrote this thing and I sent it off to Lou. And uh, I heard nothing. And, of mm. course, this is in 1993. This is the days before email. So, I mean, you know, I'm like either calling the guy or sending – You know, I literally had to mail it to him. And I didn't hear anything. And I waited a little longer, and then I you know, sort of checked up on him, and I heard, oh, Lou's out sick this week. Uh, oh, okay. So I'm going to wait a couple more weeks. Uh, Lou is on extended sick leave. Huh. Mm. Oh, okay, okay. And then I heard uh, Lou has brain cancer. Oh, my God. And, of course, uh, eventually he died from, from this, and I never got to speak to him again. And uh, aside from the fact that I was very sad that this young man uh, died of this horrible, horrible disease, uh, you know, on a more personal level, I was like, what happened, you know, geez, what happened to my, and so his assistant editor, who was Axel Alonso, who was now this big muckety-muck over Marvel. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He was Lou's assistant back then. Uh, As far as I understood, basically, that Axel came in took everything that was on Lou's desk that was a, you know, future project and just there and went to the recycling bin. You know, mm. like it just started over. And that was the end of that. That was the end of my <laughs> proto-career at DC Comics was this thing that never went anywhere because of really horrible, horrible circumstance. But I will never, oh, wow. I will never forget that moment being in that office uh, of a place that I desperately um, idolized as a kid. And being in there and being talked to like I was a valuable professional that could have added something to the company. That was a tremendous, tremendous experience. Um, mm. And then one other little brief story that I wanted to tell was flash forward uh, about another 10 years. And this is a couple of years after uh, – a little more than 10 years after I created the Shrine. Uh, I had gotten the idea – this was right after DC and – a couple different book publishers had published a bunch of those big, like, histories of Superman, history of Batman books. And I was like, well, there needs to be an Aquaman book. There should be an, a history of Aquaman book. This character's been around for 60 years. There deserves to, there should be one. So I wrote a book proposal. I wrote an Aquaman book proposal. It was called Aquaman Just Under the Surface. And it was, it, it was going to be a hardcover book tray chronicling the history of the character in and out of comic books and how the and how hence the title like he is just just under people's radar he's in you know people know who he is people outside of the greater culture know who he is but he's not superman he's not batman so i pitched this mm-hmm. book and i wrote up like a five-page proposal i set it in to dc's special projects editor who with the help of uh, paul Kupperberg, that's how he got me that name i sent that project in a couple days later, I got an email from the special projects editor, and this his gentleman's name was Chris, and he said, Rob, I love this book. I want to make this book. I want to make this Aquaman book. This, this, let's, you know, let's come up, you come to, this, come to the city and let's talk. I'm like, whoa, 
You know, mm. so again, I remember I was in my bedroom when I got this phone call from this man. I was like, oh, my God, DC wants to do my book. So I went up and went to visit Chris and went to the offices again. And uh, we went through the DC storeroom where he gave me a bunch of merchandise. And um, <laughs> I got a super, super friend's notepad. I still have it. And uh, we, we went out to lunch and we talked about the book and we talked about the shrine and why, I, you know, and my ideas for it. And Chris said, I really want to make this book. He goes, now, of course, we have to pitch it to several different levels of people, but I really want to do this. And he's like, I think this is a fun subject and uh, it's, it's the kind of thing DC would want to do. I said, well, fantastic. And then uh, basically it sat on the shelf for a while. Uh, this gentleman then left DC Comics. Uh, the book got handed over to another editor who was seemingly less than enthusiastic about it, and it pretty much withered and died on the vine. And mm. so, you know, <laughs> um, two very painful experiences, but nevertheless, they are all connected with me going to the city and going to this building where they make DC Comics. And no matter how old I got, I still got the thrill of being able to go into that lobby seeing the elevator doors open, and there was that giant mural of all their characters drawn by all... Have you ever seen that mural? No. Okay, and the, when, you, when you open the... When the elevator doors would open. On the, on the wall, as soon as you walk in, you see it. It's a, you know, painted across probably like five wall lengths, you know, the average one, was a mural of all of their famous characters, and each character was drawn by a different artist. Oh my gosh, beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm looking at it right, okay, right, right. now. And it features the last Paul Norris Aquaman. They got Paul really? Norris to do Aquaman. Jim, I think Jim Aparo did Batman. Uh, there's a Jerry – I think Jerry Siegel did Superman. I mean they got all the old – there's a – Bissett and Toddleman did Swamp Thing. Uh, Dave Gibbons did Rorschach. It's, a, it's really quite an amazing yeah. piece. <laughs> Plastic Man. Plastic Man. I mean, everybody's in there. And that's Bob Kane. Bob Kane's Batman. Bob Kane did great. Batman. Who, I forget who O'Pair. I think O'Pair did Phantom Stranger, actually. You got Ernie Cologne doing Amethyst. Wow. Yeah, it's truly wow. a Matt, remarkable. Matt Wagner movie. doing Demon. Yeah. Yeah. R- Ramona Fraden, who did she do? Metamorpho, I think. Oh, yes, yeah, she probably did. Yeah. 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 Yep. And so that they published it as a insert to the hardcover history of DC Universe book, I believe. But it was on the wall, and and I never, I never lost that thrill, no matter how many sort of bad experiences I had with near projects being completed at DC. I never lost that 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 thrill of being able to go to this place that that produced all these wonderful things that I love. And now I'm sad. I'm sad that that's not going to happen anymore. That that's. You know, they're going to move to D.C. And, of course, they're, they're moved to Los Angeles. And, of course, they're going to make new memories there for a whole new bunch of people. But uh, to me, it's not going to be the same. You know, the D.C., that's where Superman was given birth was in New York City. I mean, he was created in Cleveland, but he was given birth in New York. And so was Batman and all these other characters. And so it's sad to me that there won't be a D.C. Comics to, you know, potentially go and visit uh, anymore. I, you know, I, whenever I think of, like, old school comic books. I think of like, you know, guys either in you know, shirts and ties with rolled up sleeves and c- cigarettes and forties, grease back hair. And, you know, the kind of bullpen style and a hard boiled, you know, artists who work at hardcore deadlines and stuff like that. You know, the rush, rush, New York kind of style, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's wearing hats, you know, sort of thing in the forties. That's what I think about when I think of old school comics and, uh, creation at least. And I, and I'm sad to see that leave. New York and yeah, 
it seems like DC's been doing nothing but chasing Jeff Johns for the last five years anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now they're just falling over the coast. You know, that sounds very negative, and I apologize for that. But I just, I don't know. It, it, if there's a future out there, fine. But other than Batman video games and movies, I don't know that they've done a lot with DC Entertainment. Um, I'm yeah. sure everyone's going to jump up and down and tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, obviously the Justice League cartoons were great, but they only lie. And, and, you know, actually, I take that back. Arrow is very good. Arrow just showed up on Netflix streaming, by the way. And I just saw the first two episodes of Arrow. I hadn't seen any of it yet. And it's very, very good. Uh, I have to give that a big compliment. I was very impressed with that. So maybe there is some stuff they can produce out there. But here, here's where I'm going to get on, not my soapbox, but just my curiosity. One thing that makes me sit out when I read the article is when they're, when they're moving, you know, they're offering people opportunity to relocate, but they don't say anything about people working remotely. Now, in my new job where I work now, I, I, I still live in Florida, but the company I work for is actually out of Philly. I work remotely from home. My office is my house now. And I've gotten a huge amount of respect for working remotely. It's very valuable. When you, you, when you have good employees, it doesn't matter if they're in the same city as you. It doesn't matter if you can walk up and down the cubicle farm and see if, you know, watch your employees work and see what they're doing. If you've got good people, who cares where they live? Get the right people working for you. And it sort of breaks my heart to think that these people in New York who aren't you know, able to transplant themselves over to California are going to all lose their jobs. Yeah. I, I hope I hope that they will do something to let some of the best employees work remotely. I, I think that would be good. Especially, this, especially considering the way the freelance business works. I mean, all the artists and ink colorists and everyone work remotely anyway, yeah. right? Yep. So I would, I would hope that they give those people the opportunity. And they better just cut this mural off the wall and bring it with them. <laughs> yeah. Damn, it's gorgeous. I, and you're, ne- you're never going to be able to recreate this, man. No, I mean, what? You literally you know, can't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Most of the people are now gone. Oh, my God. Dude, this is so beautiful. I do want to – I guess we should wrap up the show with something a little more positive, and I will give something. My last time I was at the D.C. offices was under the auspices of visiting Paul Kupperberg. And we uh, hung out in his office for a while and talked, and then we moved our conversation into the hallway, which was surrounded uh, by all these cases full of DC merch, like statues and power batteries and all this stuff. And he just regaled me with story after story of hanging out with Julia Schwartz. And uh, some of them were a little off-color, the stories, which was great. Uh, But we must have talked for probably like an hour, and that was so much fun just to sit there and and hear – Paul's stories about being hanging around with Julia Schwartz in the seventies and going on book tour, going on like comic con tours with them and stuff. It was great. And, uh, it was, it's a really wonderful memory of, uh, feeling, you know, like I was a special invited guest there. That was great. And again, to, for, for someone, you know, who grew up reading DC comics and never thought something like that would happen. So, uh, you know, DC, we bid you adieu. Uh, good luck in California. As they say, there on the you go. Bill, we hope Billy. <laughs> and with that folks uh, thank you for listening to the Fire and Water Podcast we'll be back in a week with something else to talk about and uh, in the meantime fan the flow come on yeah come on Fire and Water uh, first of all the Tumblr fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com and the email address is firewaterpodcast at comcast.net you can find Rob over at aquamanshrine.net you can find him also on Twitter and Facebook under the same handle you can find Firestorm Fan at firestormfan.com you can find it under the same handle on Twitter Facebook Tumblr Google Plus and Instagram. And um, then you'll find us here next week. Absolutely. So fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye, folks. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No. One-
forever. Yeah. natural history Ha, ha, ha. 